Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jarrell Mason, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get the scoop from people inside and outside of the entertainment industry and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me on the podcast today, I have my good friend, my brother from another mother. We go way back from my days at WAG 103.1 FM in Greensboro, North Carolina. He stays bringing that real raw underground hip hop all real, no preservatives in the beat of the night. You're going to get the times where you can catch it. But my man, DJ Prez, Prez, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, bro. Thank you. The honor is mine. I'm proud of you, everything that you've accomplished, with, this, especially with this podcast. So just keep that joint up. Uh, but I'm happy to be here, man. Thank you. Man, I appreciate it. It is definitely a WAG reunion because, you know, on the previous episodes, I've interviewed Josh Kimbrough and Chris Lee, who is doing big things at WRL, Lee Sports Anchor. So shout outs to both of them. So anything for WAG and UNCG alum, you know, you guys got an open invite always. Word up. Yeah, Yeah, so tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you end up at UNCG and what led you to first create in the beat of the night? Huh. Um, UNCG was not really on my radar uh, at first. Um, it was it was Georgetown. Uh, that was kind of my first stop um, before I got to Greensboro. I thought it was going to be this world-renowned soccer player. Um, but coming from New England, moving to North Carolina, it was just different. It, it was a lot of differences. And I had already started collecting records probably um, since I was about 13 or so. And when I got to UNCG, they had radio and I was like, okay, this is dope, this is cool. Um, But at first I wasn't really interested because the time slots were terrible. Um, It was, it it just didn't have the motor that it it, it should have. It was just very college radio, wasn't really organized. Um, But I had a bunch of friends who did it, Uh, all my friends, Ironically, when I got here, we're music heads. Um, and that kind of helped out because, you know, just trying to get surrounded with the music scene and just everything. Uh, the people that you met, they were just like, yo, you should, uh, you should do a radio show. And I was like, uh, maybe. Um, but I had this roommate, uh, my homie Los, uh, who had a 7 a.m. show. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Why do you have a 7 a.m. show? It's way too early. People don't care at seven o'clock in the morning on a independent radio station. And he was like, nah, nah, nah. I get to play what I want. Plus I get to play like new music. And I was like, all right, well, that's cool. But it's still 7 a.m. I'd rather be sleeping. Um, so he, he put the bug in my ear. This was probably circa 2001, uh, 2001. And... I was like, okay, yeah, let me check it out. I stopped by a couple of times to, to see the station uh, back when we were in the basement, um, the Taylor building. And it just, it was, it was magical. It was, it was fun. Um, and then we had a mutual friend, uh, my man Elijah. He went by DJ Solijah back in the day. He was a Soul Records fan. Um, and he had this concept for his show. It was called Beats and Blips. And Beats and Blips was kind of a mix of hip hop and electronic music, all the things that I was into. And he had a late night show. So my homie Los, he had the early morning. I was like, nope, not feeling that. But Elijah, he had the late night. So he had a, I wanna say a 10 to one slide on Fridays. And so 
the crew, we would just like stop by and say, Hey, yo, this is, uh, this is dope. And he would usually have like these mixes already laid out. Um, he was a DJ, but he didn't, he didn't do the live mix. Cause he was like, I don't feel like bringing turntables in the booth. It just takes too long. Uh, so he would just like invite everybody through and we would just like hang out. And it was just a really cool experience uh, just to listen to new music that I hadn't heard. Um, new music that a lot of people really hadn't heard. A lot of overseas stuff, a lot of British hip hop, a lot of uh, British electronic, um, European uh, house and techno. And, and then the bug kind of set off again. And I was like, okay, I'm about to graduate. My man Elijah's about to graduate. I want to do a show before I, before I leave um, because music wasn't really, it was something to do, but it was, it was, radio wasn't kind of a big factor with that. So I said, all right, last semester, um, before I thought I was leaving, um, I said, yo, Jack Bonnie had just taken over at the station. I was like, yeah, I want to do a radio show. And he had been connected with me for years because we knew mutual friends as well in the music industry, um, music scene around Greensboro. So it was, it was easy. It was like, you collect records. Yes, you can do a show. Um, and so I needed a concept uh, and Beats and Blips was kind of a gift from Elijah to myself to just kind of continue it on. And, but he said, put your own spin on it. Uh, take something, the ideas that I had and just flip it. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm sitting, uh, trying to put together like an idea for this show. Um, and I was thinking about listening to old, like Stretch and Bobbito and, and Sway and Tech. And, and it, was, it was that type of mentality of, okay, how can we do this live? How can we connect to a population that's not really hearing underground music like they should. Um, and let me get back to my roots and, you know, of, of soul music and, and hip hop music and, and what really grasped me about radio. And there it was, I was sitting, I think we had a, a DJ meeting, probably my very first or second DJ meeting. And we were going around and they were like, okay, tell the name of your show and a time slot and everything. And I was just like, well, um, in the beat of the night, we do a live mix show. <laughs> and it just like rolled off the tongue. Um, and we just took, I took it from like in the heat of the night uh, and I just flipped it. I was like, in the beat of the night, it's all about beats. It's all about kind of connecting the beats and blips from, from my homie to this new incarnation um, of something fresh. And, and I was like, it's gonna be a live mix show. And I just threw that out there too. And I was like, oh, can we do that? I don't even know if we can do live mix shows um, because nobody was doing live mix shows uh, at that time. Um, I think around that time, um, Section 8 and, and Ev, they had just started. And so it was, it, was, it was cool. It felt like a tide was changing and, and, and our small station was developing a style and was developing a sound. And I was a part of that. I was, I was happy to be a part of that. Um, and then it just kind of kicked off from there. And, and probably 15, 16 years later, the show still kind of goes on in the same weird way that it started. Uh, it was just me bringing some turntables in and inviting a bunch of friends who I knew who could make music and DJ and, and MC. And it was, it was, that was it. Uh, that was in the beat of the night.
Man, that is crazy. I never knew the backstory of your show. Just to paint a picture for those of you that don't know, when you first get on at WAG, at least when we were there, when I was there at least, you have to apply. You have to get it approved by the GM. And they were very big on no commercial music. But luckily for me, once they knew what I was doing and saw what I was doing, they're like, okay, he's good. He's good. Now you mentioned at the top that you're from the New England area, correct? Mass all day. All right. What part of Massachusetts? So for for geography, um, there's Boston. Uh, and then you skip to the middle of the state. And there's a little bitty town called Athol, Mass. Um, and it's not really on anyone's radar. It's, it's close to Springfield. It's close to Worcester. Um, but it's, it's always home. Uh, doesn't matter how far away I go. Um, Massachusetts is always it. It always has been. Uh, North Carolina has turned into home. Um, I've left and I continue for whatever reason to come back. Um, but it's it's not bad. It's it's uh, Massachusetts is one thing. North Carolina is something else completely. Two different environments and everything. Uh, but both places I, I have so much love for. Yeah. Um, and of so, course, you know, North Carolina, you don't have to deal with Northeasters. Yeah, you know, it, it, the weather is a little bit nicer. I hate summers. I do not like summers in North Carolina. Uh, but I do enjoy the dichotomy of like four seasons. Very rarely it's snow. And it, when it is snow, you shut it all down. Shut it all down. That's, that's what you do. Shut it down. In Massachusetts, how much snow? Then that's when you say you shut it all down. If it's a foot, okay, yes. If it's not a foot, no. Nah. <laughs> yeah, you keep you keep trucking and you learn how to keep it moving. But that's why the Northeast and Buffalo, nah, not on my place to live list. Because when we think of Massachusetts, we tend to think about Boston and the surrounding areas, you know, and all the great bands that came out of the Boston area, like the Cars, uh, New Edition, New Kids on the Block, Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs. And we can go on and on all the great acts that came out of the Bean. Word, word. And... Like, and what's cool, especially when in regards to music, when you're from the Northeast, like everything is kind of your Mecca. Like New York is, is you're tied to New York because you're so close. You're tied to DC because you're close. You're tied to Philly because you're close. And I was fortunate and the older I got um, to just be able to travel to these places and say, oh man, this is a vibe. Like the Northeast has a vibe and everyone knows all the cities. Um, and all the bands that have come from those cities. And that, that's what makes it home, especially in regards to music. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. Did you ever used to frequent the record, exchange, record exchange? It was across the street from Jack's Deli on the corner of oh, yeah. Acock yeah. and Spring Garden. I never got yeah. a chance to go there because I believe it had torn down after my uh, freshman year. Yeah, the record exchange, it was, it was good. It was, it was at a time where records were kind of coming back. I think it was probably about 2003-ish was kind of their, their heyday because um, they competed with a, a lot of other little record stores, in, especially in Greensboro, that um, they had kind of stage space. Um, and that was huge. If you could have a little bit of stage so where somebody could play or somebody could DJ, that was huge for you. I do open mics there. Um, 
and then for some reason it just went away. I, I have no idea what happened to it. I think Record Exchange, the brand, because there was a few in North Carolina um, around that time, and they just kind of all dissolved, which was unfortunate um, because they definitely had some really good records, uh, a lot of cool CDs and tapes, um, because CDs were still a thing back then. They were still a thing. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, they were because if you know the collections that you used to bring in for your own CDs or there were CDs at the station, we would use three Denon CD carts where you would load your CD into the cart and you hope and pray that your CD did not skip because if it skipped <laughs> while you were on the air, you were done. You were done and you, you were quick to fade. Everything was about fading in and out. And I, I just, I was happy when I started bringing like records in. I was like, all right, cool. Now I can control my own sound. And I, I would always have like a CDJ with me um, just so I could, you know, have records and have a CD if I need to, and then have the three uh, Denons um, right there on the board. So it was always consistent in music. So if it skipped, on to the next one. Yeah, to keep it moving. And once again, people, this was pre-Serato, where you had to actually bring in your own turntables. And if you did use the turntables that were at the station, you had to provide your own needles. You had to, had to, because they, they would take the needles off and then whatever was on was probably like some old replacement needles. And those didn't actually work well. Um, there were, there was so many Technique 1200s at the station when I first started. There, there was probably... I want to say about eight, uh, a good four or five pairs of, of 1200s. And, uh, and they were just sitting there. They were like, nobody was touching them. Nobody was using them. I was like, let's, let's, let's dust these off and, uh, and turn these into something good. Right. And that we did with your show. You mentioned DJ Evans Section 8 with uh, Trauma Center, a.k.a. Slap Happy Radio, how our vibe when we were there, it had that same feel of like you mentioned, Bobito and Stretch, very legendary yeah. radio show up at NYU. And yeah. they had acts that were huge later, but they were unsigned yeah. before they appeared on their show. Every time I would go to New York, I would try to catch that sh show. Like it, it was, it was just something special. Um, I had family in Queens, family in Brooklyn, um, and it was always just nice to for them to say, "Hey, yo, this is what's happening in New, in New York." And I'm like, oh, "I need to be in New York." I think, I think that's my calling. Um, but it was always, it was always like a. a day late dollar short um when all this was happening this that that wasn't the scene that i was in at the time and and, and i was almost like a generation removed from that era and so during wag years it was how can we pay homage to those moments and those kind of groundbreaking radio shows that that it meant something um and i think especially your show the time machine um uh, slap happy uh, in the beat of the night. Uh, there was a there was a reggae show uh, called Rockers four two or four three two, and that was like their their dorm room number. And they would record in their dorm room like live reggae mixes. And it was and they just wanted to do it live. And then they would just play the CD at the station. 
and like everybody was creative and it was just like yo this isn't just college radio this is independent radio this is this is almost pirate radio because we were doing some stuff that not every college station would let you do um and we were playing to an audience that didn't expect high production they expected oh you know hey let's read something about this the university and we were like or we'll just tell you something else about what's really happening and and i think people loved that they they gravitated to that it was it was more than just a college student playing music it was young adults creating a show and and that's that's what it turned into and that's how i always try to approach it right and it's funny that you mentioned pirate radio because we got to talk about how over in the uk there wasn't back in the 80s and early 90s a lot of urban representation on the radio waves over there because you had Radio 1, BBC, and Capital Radio, which is the equivalent to Top 40 over here in the States. And if you wanted to listen to urban music over there, you had to listen underground where you had Kiss FM before it became commercial and several other stations. And the only way you were hearing the latest in UK urban music was if it popped up on a pirate or if you knew somebody over there and they would import you tapes, CDs, and records. Yeah. And, and I think the, the parallel to that was, was for the states, college radio, independent radio. Um, you know, we weren't in a pirate setting so much as we were just given an opportunity through a university or through an independent outlet that said, okay, we just want 24 hours of stuff, whatever it is. Mm we don't really care. And so we had free reign. And that, that's what was beautiful about college radio um, and independent radio. Uh, you just have this free reign to just play whatever, of course, keep it within the guidelines. Um, you know, don't get too crazy. But, but you, you have this platform to just say, okay, we're going to create something special. We're going to play some underground music that you've never heard in your entire life. And and it's gonna be dope. And I believe it's gonna be dope. And you're gonna believe that we believe that it's dope. Um, and that's what was special about uh, WAG because they gave you full reign. And they were just like, the, the more underground, the better. And, and that, was, that was fresh. Um, and Jack, Jack Barney, um, the homie, uh, big shouts. Shout out to Jack. Uh, yo, he, he gave, he had a vision um, he was the first general manager, like on payroll, um, who was an alumni, and so he knew what it would take to make WAG special and stand out. Um, because my first year, that was we had just started to integrate. Well, we were, actually, it was probably the first couple of years. Um, we were one of the first indie stations to do online, and that wasn't even a thing. And then all of a sudden, WAG has a stream. And then after that, everyone else in the city, 102 Jams jumped on, 107.5 jumped on. Uh, and it was just 1. like, yeah, 97.1. Um, then A&T jumped on. And they were just like, how did, how, did, how did we not think about this? But Jack did. Jack was like, how can we stream past our 18 wattage? And I said, yes, I was all for it because we were contemporaries, we were close friends. And uh, he asked my opinion and I said, yes, um, this, is, this is awesome. I think this will be great. 
And, and that was huge. Great it was, man, because it was my saving grace because, you know, the wattage didn't really pick up outside of campus. But I was heavy promoting the streaming and the website and forms and message boards and blasting it on my little campus T-shirt that I wore to promote the gig. So the live stream was definitely a big thing. And if you think about it, we were ahead of the curve in regards to that. We so stated that everybody was hopping on it later once we got on to it first. And, and what was dope about it, even to take that further, that one idea pushed WAG to like national recognition at, at, at a point um, because Jack was actually invited to talk about WAG at CMJ New York in I wanna say 2007 maybe. Um, and he was, and his whole platform was talking about how you take a college station and have it compete with kind of commercial radio in your city. And WAG had gotten to that point where we we, we competed. And, and people, Yes Weekly and Go Triad, they were writing about WAG as if they were, if we were commercial. Um, just because we had a lot of fun shows, uh, we were doing live shows, we were, we were streaming, we, we were doing things that, that not everybody um, not everybody was, was doing at the time, which was, which was crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, that was fantastic at the time that we were, we were trying to kind of break ground and do something different. Right. It definitely was like having your CD be put on shuffle because one minute you can hear R&B, next minute you can hear underground hip hop, one minute you can hear Americana, one minute you will hear yeah. rotation. So it was a mixed bag. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because mm, I remember being in the basement and originally, for those that don't know, our studio was in the basement of the Taylor building, which we shared with the drama department. So when it was play season, we would have to close our doors to the studio just to make sure that there was no interference with the sounds, everything. And then if you had a solo show by yourself and it was late at night, Man, you didn't want to go down to try to use the restroom because of supposedly stories about uh, Mary Acock. And I used to bring my dog to the station. Nobody knows that, but- uh, Statue of Limitations is up on that one. Yo, know, straight up. Because like, I used to bring my dog for safety. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, let's just, just bring the dog. Yeah, I need, I need little protection. So Bella and uh, Pelea, actually two dogs at that point. But uh, they would just come and they would just sit and uh, and just hang out for the show. So a lot of fun. Yeah, because the only person that maybe you probably saw if you had a late night shift was the security guard from the police station across the street just to check to make sure that there was there wasn't anybody yeah. that needed to be there. And they would come one time a night. So if you had a three hour show, uh, you on your own. And then don't let it be to where if it was not a live body in the studio and the door was yeah. locked and you couldn't get in. You had to go across the street to the police station, either get the, Check key, out the key or they would oh. have to come and um, open it for you so that you could get in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I forgot about those days. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah, lot man. has definitely changed. Man. A lot has definitely changed. Yeah, it definitely has changed. And I told people this all the time that when I first got to UAG, it was my first time ever hearing a little brother. 
and oh, the listening, wow. you know, I was just like, man, you know, these guys are really dope. And then once yeah. I got there, the hip hop history of the triad, I never knew nothing about, you know, with Payday Records and Busy Boys and, of course, Ski Beats coming out of that movement. Yeah. And just thinking how NC has really laid the foreground, you know, for hip hop with what we see now with J. Cole, Rhapsody, the baby, who I believe went to UNCG and all and wow. little stunning for Vegas and everybody that has flourished from North Carolina since. And that kind of started, you know, with Little Brother and then of course prior to Ski Beats with his work with Camp Low and Jay-Z and exactly. original flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, North Carolina I was I was shocked to be honest um, with so many local artists that were were just blowing up and Little Brother, kind of that 2003 to 2005 was kind of their golden era of like introduction, um, and Ninth Wonder being from Winston, um, and then like that whole Durham scene, and then the Raleigh music scene, especially the the underground hip hop scene, it was it was wild. Um, I, I was honored to to meet them a few times, kind of through everything. Uh, they came through the station uh, early on, um, and their their first, I think, the listening tour. Um, they definitely stopped by, uh, did a sound check with us. Um, but it was it was it was unique, man. Like those those early two thousands for North Carolina hip hop was 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 big. Um, Big shouts to all the DJs who, who were kind of around at that time. DJ SK, um, uh, DJ J Lone, uh, DJ uh, T Zone, um, the Blind Tiger, like hip hop scene. Um, they they kind of pushed this this movement between like the big, essentially the three big cities: Charlotte, um, uh, Greensboro, and Raleigh, and trying to connect all those dots. And like people were just doing similar parties um, just to kind of push this this thing, and and they used radio to to kind of be that background, and and I was honored uh, within the beat of the night to to be kind of a, a surveyor of of the culture, um, and I was I was happy with that. That was, that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I can remember a little brother coming through the station around 04, 05 when the Minstrel Show yeah. dropped and they got signed to Atlantic. And I remember Josh yeah. and I, we took a picture with, I believe, Pooh and Ninth Wonder. Fonte wasn't oh, there, but yeah. it was definitely dope to see. And li listening back now to the Minstrel Show is just as good as listening. And I felt little brother came too early because it was still when social media was in its infancy and it was just one of those things where, you know, you come too early and it's only in retrospect where you realize, man, these guys were ahead of the curve. But Fonte yeah. and everybody's doing well for themselves. Fonte on Showcase, yeah. Knife Wonder, Jamala, and of course, Pooh doing his thing on the managerial side. Yeah. And I think, are they, are they coming back with a new a new show or a new album? Um, that I do not know. The last album I know they released, it was May the Lord Watch Dallas with uh, Pooh and Fonte, and it came out, I think, maybe a, a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's dope, though. I'm, I'm very proud of those cats. Mm -hmm. Now, did you play any Cooley High? They were a rap collective out of NC State, and in that group was a pre-fame rap city. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
So Cooley High came through Beat of the Night. Uh, this was this was probably post Rhapsody. Rhapsody had just gone solo. Um, and uh, big shouts to, to Tab and the whole crew. Um, they came through and and it was it, it was all love. Like they had always um, they had always shown love to to Beat of the Night. Um, at that particular time, I think they were about to drop. I can't remember the record they were about to drop, um, but it was right before most of them moved to New York. Um, I think Ill Digits and uh, Charlie Smarts uh, moved to New York, moved to Brooklyn, um, just to kind of expand the Cooley High brand. And it was a great move for them because um, they were some smart kids. They got some crazy production and and all love to everything that they were doing in Raleigh, uh, that whole NC State, uh, what was it, the tunnel, the graffiti tunnel, uh, where they would have the ciphers every Monday. Um, uh, Ghost Dog, my homie, um, he, was, he was one of those, those cats in there. Uh, Tucson, Lazarus, um, they were, they were kind of like the extension of Cooley High um, because they were all around like hip hop and, and Raleigh at that time. And everybody was trying to break bread with, with Ninth Wonders Camp, with Jamla. Um, and Cesar Comanche and like all those cats, um, because that was that was where we thought hip hop was going for North Carolina, and and it was a good run. Um, I, I think everybody is is still successful in their own right. Um, so yeah, Cooley High that was that was a good era too, man. That was a that was a lot of fun. Big shouts to Rhapsody. Yeah, definitely that two five two in the building, Snow Hill, and um, you know the medium, the medium comfortable record. I used to bang that oh, record God. heavy. Man, oh, gosh, she was. Uh, I was. <laughs> I was. I caught her on her most probably her twenty eighteen tour. Um, she was doing a European tour, and I was like. I was also in Europe at that particular time. And I was just doing some traveling for about a month or so. And every city that I got to, she played the night before. And so I was, social media was like the best possible tool. I'm like, man, you're in London? I was in London yesterday. And, and it was just like, I couldn't catch her on her tour because she was like a day ahead of me. And, but we, we laughed about it uh, via Instagram and it, it was always cool. Um, I haven't seen her perform live since, gosh, um, probably those early, that early record, probably that debut record. Um, yeah, but I'm glad she's doing well, uh, all props, um, everything that she's got going on. So yeah, salute 252. Yes, sir. 252-336-704-910-919-828. All of NC stand up. Now, what do you think is the main difference between the three major cities and their hip-hop scenes? Talking about the Triad area, Greensboro, what's the Salem High Point, the Triangle, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, then Queen City area, Charlotte. Um, everybody just has a different sound. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm what they call old now when it comes to, to this new era of hip hop, um, because I love, I love the boom bap. I love the, the backpack around. You're the elder uh, statesman. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be. I, I'm there too, don't worry. <laughs> I've worked in this, this industry long enough, uh, be it radio, be it labels, um, 
just to see the transition, especially from North Carolina, um, of, of what it sounded like in those early 2000s, I guess, coming over from the late 90s to what it sounds like now. Um, I don't really think there was much of a difference between the cities so much as what the scenes in those cities are listening to and what are they producing. Um, because if you're gonna listen to some really dope underground hip hop today, uh, it's gonna sound similar in Charlotte. It's gonna sound similar in Raleigh. It's gonna sound similar in Durham. Um, if you're gonna listen to some trappier stuff, um, similar beats and, and you know whatever makes you move, that's cool. Uh, that kind of Southern rap ideology, um, it's gonna sound the same across the, across the board. Um, but you will find like crossover flavor because back in the day, if you liked one thing, you probably didn't like that other thing. But now it's like, if you like kind of trappier beats, you might still like boom bap beats. You, you might still like the 4-4, um, kind of that rugged hip hop stuff. And you might like that dance stuff all in the same vein. And, and that's what probably the biggest difference in North Carolina is, because um, there's not really a sound of North Carolina, like the baby and J. Cole, they're from here. Does that represent a sound? Not really. Um, little brother and, and Fonte, what he's continuing to do with, with Nicolet. Is that the North Carolina sound? Not really. Um, you can't really pinpoint it. You just know that it's from North Carolina because they might shout it out in the record. Um, but that's what makes it music. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it hip hop. Um, you know, you try to have an identity. It's, it's not like the 90s anymore, where it's, okay, I represent uh, straight New York, straight Brooklyn, Boston, to, through and through. It's now it's, I represent music, I represent hip hop, and, and I, I'm, I'll probably rock a Tar Heel jersey to let you know where I'm from. Um, and that's, that's still fresh. I think that's dope too. So, um, you know, I'd rather take Durham than Charlotte, just personally. Um, I would rather take Greensboro than Raleigh, personally. Um, but I love music coming out of all those places. So I right. respect to all you guys. Right, and it's funny that you mentioned how, you know, back in the 90s, hip hop was very regional specific, where unless you were New York or LA, you weren't getting played anywhere. So that's why it was so shocking when Outkast first dropped with Seven Player Listic, Cadillac Music in 94, because Prior to them, yeah. Atlanta was known for, of course, ABC, Crisscross, mm. TLC, everything that was coming out of the face. And then once they exploded, yeah. that opened up the door to what we see now with the Southern hip hop movement coming out of Atlanta. So did you think Atlanta's success as a whole region overshadowed everything else that NC was trying to do where they felt like, hey, we need to kind of follow Atlanta's formula? Sadly, yes, um, but Outkast was such an anomaly. Um, and, and I actually have spent the last few years in Atlanta and um, living and working there and just kind of connecting musically there to that scene. And, and they have such a, a love for Atlanta that North Carolina just doesn't have. And like no, 
as much as people in Queen City love Charlotte, they don't have the passion for Charlotte like people in Atlanta have for Atlanta. They let you know it's they like being, every chance they get. Yeah, exactly. Like nothing's greater than Atlanta if you're in if you're from Atlanta. And if you're from Charlotte, you're like, oh, okay, this is this is good. Charlotte's dope. But if you're from Atlanta, there's nothing, there's there's Atlanta or nothing else. Um, and I think because Atlanta was so big, it overshadowed any kind of progression in hip hop that North Carolina was trying to do because there was not one city that was doing that thing. It, it, they weren't, there wasn't like somebody to carry this city like Outkast carried Atlanta. Um, and that not every state is fortunate. Right. And North Carolina is just one of those places. And, you know, yes, the success of Little Brother and, and what Ninth Wonder was able to accomplish and who he was able to work with, that was, you know, all salute too. But it still didn't have that Outcasts effect because Outcasts took off. And then from there, you had drops of little seeds. You had, you know, the Dungeon Family. You had Disturbing the Peace coming in the 2000s. You had a shift of, of what Outkast introduced. And then it just blew up. And then everybody was coming out of Atlanta for a while. And, and, and that's, that just didn't happen in North Carolina at that time. Right. Um, you're seeing more now. Um, because yes, when you think of North Carolina now, you think of J. Cole, you think of Ninth Wonder, you think of the uh, Baby, And after that, Anthony Hamilton, maybe like it just it's it's a very it's a very loose conversation after that mm -hmm. uh, which isn't bad uh i think it's it's healthy mm -hmm. because that just pushes people to make more music and you you see cats who, who are just busting and grinding um big shouts to endangered species uh from the early from the mid 2000s and 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 the tens um uh, Tony Price and his Sham Lee, uh, they were they were pushing bloody bloody Molly, um, you know, like most people in North Carolina, they to break into this industry they move. Um, probably one of my favorite kind of hip hop bands uh, when I got to Greensboro was Urban Sophisticates, um, and they were a dope uh, two brothers from Philly who had this, had this very root style approach to hip hop. And it was dope, it was fun, it was clever, it was witty. And, but they knew that they had to leave to make it big musically. Um, my homie, Either Mad Assassin, uh, he's been doing his thing on the underground scene for, for years. He knew that he had to leave North Carolina to move to LA to start going on tour. And that's sadly what happens in North Carolina in regards to hip hop. Um, I don't think that it's North Carolina's fault. It's just the curators are so spread out and there's not one location where you're like, okay, if I wanna make it in North Carolina, I gotta move to Charlotte. I gotta move to Raleigh. I gotta move to Greensboro. That's not how this, this state is, is set up. Um, yes, uh, there's some cats that are doing it in every city, 
um, probably one of my favorite parties for hip hop, Nocturnal in Charlotte is, and it, it was, it's been around for almost a decade now. That is where you go to find your, your, your culture. You got the B-boys, B-girls, you got Aswell, you got A minor, um, Shadow, the MC holding it down just for the culture. It's like, where can you come to listen to fresh music, dance, listen to dope DJs and probably catch like a, a freelance performance. You come to this party every Monday night and boom, we're gonna show you some stuff. A lot of places in North Carolina right now, well, minus the pandemic, they just don't have that. Um, but Atlanta, uh, to circle back, has that often. <laughs> and they, they've, yeah, they, they've, they've built a culture because of what Outkast started, um, what Ludacris continued, what TI continued, um, and what these new cats are, are, are bringing to the table. Um, reminiscent of everything that New York and LA had already had, um, kind of the, the, the bearers of hip hop, so. Yeah, because when you look at Atlanta, Atlanta is very communal where everybody knows everybody, has worked with somebody at some point, and it's like, hey, I get on, I'll do something to get you on. Because if you look at how Atlanta is structured, it's one big community. And like you stated, when you're in North Carolina, you got to go elsewhere to, to get on. And do you think that Jive kind of put the weight on Petey Pablo's shoulders once Raise Up came out that he was gonna be the hip hop savior for the state? Yeah, um, because when you come out with an anthem for your state, there's nowhere else you can go. <laughs> and so the label, they just said, we wanna capitalize on that. I was never a fan of Petey Pablo. Um, I, I, I'm not essentially from here. You know, I, I've lived here long enough, but you know, that wasn't my vibe. Um, I respected what that anthem needed to do and, and how, how connected you feel when you hear it. Because anytime you hear your, your state, your city in a story or in a song or in a record, you get ant. And that's why New York gave us the ultimate pretty much platform to say, yo, where do you represent? You talk about where you represent and we're gonna make money off of that. That's what labels right. say. <laughs> Industry so, rule number 4,080. Uh, you already know. <laughs> Shout out to Q-Tip, rest in peace, Fife. Yeah, rest in peace all day, man. Um, yeah, but yeah, North Carolina, because I can talk about that anthem because for me, I was a freshman in high school when Raise Up came out. So when that came out, it hit different because like, man, we're on it because prior to Petey Pablo, North Carolina was known, of course, for R&B because, you know, Jodeci from NC, Clarence Avant, Record Execs from Climax, which is outside of Greensboro. So this was really the first time hip hop was put on on a major scale because by the time Petey Pablo dropped, of course, Ski Beats yeah. was already knee deep in the game with the production on Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt, Camp Lowe's Uptown Saturday Night. So it was finally that one song where North Carolina could say, this is us, we here, we in the building. 
and that, and that was huge. And that, that was, that was, I think it was necessary. I, I really do. Um, you know, just kind of being kind of thrust into North Carolina culture and especially the music culture, you know, they, they needed it. Like this state needed something to, to get on somebody's radar. Um, and, and that just happened to come at a right time, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Breaking into the new, uh, new millennium, um, something fresh, something, something, you know, that represented a style um, because everybody was trying to get on that style. Right. And do you think the success of BA with Neptune's Missy and Tim kind of overshadowed NC as well, in addition to everything that was coming out of Atlanta? Yes. <laughs> um, just because they had a formula. They, they had a formula, once again, that North Carolina just didn't really have. Um, and they had it early and often. Um, Timberland makes beats. He's connected to people. Um, the Neptunes were not going to accept no for an answer to, to get into the industry. Um, and Missy Elliott was just made for fame. Um, so you knew that they were not going to lose. And, and it just happens that you're connected to famous people. And, and that's like, that helps. That definitely helps. If, if, a, if a label exec is a relative, um, you know, that's huge. Uh, that, that opens a lot of doors and it, it gets you to a table. Um, so that's a really fortunate thing. Same thing with Outkast. Um, just, it's almost who you know at the right time um, and timing is everything. Right, definitely agree with that. And I see behind you, you got the Stone Throw record. So can we talk about Stone Throw, everything got it there, and then briefly go into that whole hieroglyphics movement with uh, Souls of Mischief, Dale the Funky Homo Sapien, uh, A Plus, Jurassic Five, that whole underground movement out west. So I'm fortunate to to have been connected with Stone Throw for for quite a few years. Um, all because of In the Beat of the Night. Um, in the Beat of the Night opened so many doors, um, especially when, when labels were starting to, to develop and evolve and that stream kind of kicked off. Um, and this was, this was early, probably early 2000s, uh, probably five, oh five, oh six when labels were really trying to like regain that momentum with uh, underground music, independent music. And so they were trying to push independent radio and college radio because it, it was so successful in the nineties, they, they wanted to recreate the wheel. And so the live streams and satellite music was starting. They were trying to catch every DJ with a dope show and Def Jam was on it. Stone Throw Records was on it. And something about Stone's Throw captured my attention early um, because the, the, the first Loop Pack record, uh, amazing. And, and it was like this underground sound that I was like, man, this kind of sounds like my show. And so the more music they, they were sending me, and this was, oh gosh, this was MED, this was Dudley Perkins. Um, this was Dilla, this was Mad Lib. 
um, all this music that was coming to, to my show, they would send me care packages to the station. And I was like, yo, let's, let's connect. Like, I like what you guys are doing. You're coming up on 10 years in the game. Um, you're the underground, like, label that everybody wants to be. Um, and I was fortunate to, to, to get a, a seat at the table. My man, Havana Joe, um, he kind of spearheaded the Brooklyn office. And he was just like, hey, let's, uh, let's do some media consultant work for uh, Stone Store Records because of your just longevity with independent radio and your, your vision with your radio show and, and the fans that you get. Um, and yeah, let's, let's, let's put out some albums. And, and I was fortunate to, uh, to break a lot of those Stone Store records from the Aloe Black uh, to Mayor Hawthorne, uh, that reintroduction to soul music um, from this like West Coast label that needed a spark. Um, because after the passing of, of Dilla, who put out uh, one of his finest works on Stone's Throw, um, they, they kind of shifted in terms of, of what they were going to represent. Because um, Peanut Butter Wolfie was a hip-hop DJ, and he knew this recipe for, for cultivating some really dope hip-hop music. Um, so he moved from the Bay to L.A., and started this thing that was essentially out of out of a house with a couple of cats, um, with one producer, Madlib, who was God's gift to, to music. And he had this idea. He was like, let's pump out records. And it was records, 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 and it was different records. It was it was underground, but it was fresh. It was, it was soulful. It had, had, I don't even, it's hard to put what Stone's Throw records sound like into words. Um, but if you've ever heard a Mad Lib record, a Mad Lib beat, if you've ever heard an M MF Doom verse, if you've ever heard a J Dilla verse and beat, if you've ever heard Aloe Black sing, if you've ever heard Wild Child rap, if you've ever heard Declaim sing and rap, um, if you ever heard Mayor Hawthorne, you just know that, oh, this is probably Stone's Throw. And, and that's what it, it, it captured. And it captured it from LA to, to Brooklyn because Flying Lotus worked in the mailroom. <laughs> um, that's what, the impact that this independent label had on people because it wasn't Capitol Records, it wasn't RCA, it wasn't um, Sony. This was something else, this was Stone's Throw. And, and I was very honored with my time uh, with the label um, just, to, just to see that work kind of come to fruition. Homeboy Sandman, um, uh, New York school teacher, turned MC uh, jumped on with, with Stone's Throw because Stone's Throw opened doors for cats who just were trying to make it, um, but not trying to make it the normal route. Just, I'm gonna keep my day job, but I'm gonna do this art and somebody's gonna appreciate it. That somebody's gonna be Peanut Butter Wolf and because he's smart and he has this vision to, to be all encompassed. 
and that's what Stone's Throw is, and that's what Stone's Throw was at their their height. Um, you know, things have changed, of course, with the label, uh, with the roster. Um, you know, a lot of people that were there before aren't affiliated. Um, but it was it was a time that that I was I was happy to to be connected with. Um, a lot of a lot of people came through uh, the station. A lot of people came through the city came through the show, uh, Connie Price, the Keystones, Dame Funk, um, a lot of WAG present shows came from Stone's Throw. Uh, it, was, it was a great time and it opened a lot of doors for me on, on, a, on, a, on a higher level beyond just radio and, and just kind of seeing how the business ran. Um, and they were, they were almost like the perfect model of like what an underground label should be. Um, similar to Stretch and Bombido being like a model of what a underground hip hop radio show should be, Stone's Throw was, was that partner, um, which was awesome. Right. And it's funny that you mentioned Loop Pack. Now I'm gonna tell you something that's gonna blow your mind because I don't know if you know this. Uh, the young actor that plays Jack on Blackish, one of the members of Loop Pack is his dad. Yes, that's Wild Child, with little Miles. So. Um, there's a there's a record, um, a wild child record. Uh, big shouts to Jack. Um, he he had Miles on the record as a baby, and he, he was talking to him, and and I was like, man, this this kid has like hip hop energy. Skip ahead eight or nine years. Oh yeah, by the way, he's uh, he's got his own album out. And he's a, a really famous star on a really big television show. Um, that whole family's great. Uh, everything that uh, uh, Jack Brown, Wild Child, uh, kind of puts his hand to, it's going to be gold. Uh, so big shouts to Miles and Jack. Um, if you guys see this, um, or when you see this, because uh, they they're the really really great family for sure. Yeah, because I can remember uh, when Anthony Anderson and Kenya Barris created a Blackish. Once they found out that Wild Child was his dad, they were just bugging out because, you know, with them being from the West Coast and them being yeah. that huge, they were just like, yo, Wild Child's your dad and trying not to fanboy whenever they would be on the set and everything and just try to keep it cool because, you know, Anthony Anderson, he came a long way from playing Teddy Brody's on Hang Time. He really did. He really did. I, I didn't think he was going to get to this level. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, he, he, got, he got here with distance runner. <laughs> um, it, it took him a long time to get from there to here. But when he got here, he, he owned it. Um, mm -hmm. So salute to everything that uh, Anthony Anderson's doing. Yeah, definitely. yeah, definitely did. And can we talk about the journey of our brother, our fellow UNCG WAG alumni, who I mentioned at the top of the interview doing big things at WRL, lead sports anchor, first African-American sports anchor in the network and capital broadcasting company history, Chris Lee, or the artist formerly known as Show Smooth. Show Smooth, that was my dude. Um, we, we, we trained together because um, I started his freshman year and and I was I had already been pretty familiar with radio and but he was he was just uh, he, he had this energy that you knew he wasn't gonna fail and and that was that was impressive to me um, kind of being older than him and 
and still kind of being able to kind of admire his drive um, because he just had this, this it factor. And I was just like, yo, um, I salute you. And he, was, he, he, he wasn't really for the underground stuff fully. Like he would play those underground hip hop joints, um, but he would always break out and you would see like new CDs pop up at the station. And like, oh, oh, Show Smooth's got that joint. So, and it was, it was refreshing. Like he brought, he brought a flavor that wasn't just underground um, because he, at around that time, you know, I'll be real blunt, uh, there wasn't a lot of black DJs and there wasn't a lot of black voices and there wasn't a lot of male voices. Um, there, it, was, it was at a time where we needed more diversity. Um, and so pretty much from day one, when I started, he started. And right there, you had two ends of the spectrum. You had a, f a fresh, young, hip kid. You had kind of a, a DJ uh, who was on this underground tip and and it was it was dope to 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 have some really great shows um, that, that kind of rivaled each other in a, in a competitive way um, but knowing that he had bigger aspirations for entertainment um, you know most people that do indie radio they probably just want to do indie radio I was one of those people um, because I liked the underground vibe yeah, I went on to, to work with some labels and, and kind of do music stuff, but it was still on this underground vibe. Um, but he wanted to take it further. And that was that was impressive to me. Um, and then out of nowhere, I heard he was a wrestler. And I was like, what? This is weird. Um, but he, he just, he owned it. And he, I respect that. Um, and I'm very proud of what he's doing now. Uh, I think he's in Raleigh. Yeah, yeah WRO. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was definitely great to to kind of be contemporaries with him, especially now seeing what he's turned into and become. So, yeah, because the funny thing with Chris was that uh, I had started my show a semester before he did, so he would actually come and sit on my show, and then the following semester, that was when Carolina Crump came about. But to see where you, him, Josh. Jessam Stanley, who is huge. I didn't realize how big her YouTube following was. That's another one that WAG has spawned. So can, yeah, so can yeah, we talk about her? Yo, oh gosh, Jessamine, like she was special. She would, uh, she would pop up on my show. Um, she would just guest um, because In the Beat of the Night was always just like an open family show. So people, people would come through just to say what up, hear a couple of records and then bounce. And, and it was always love um, with that, that era of people. Um, I think Crystal Stroka uh, at that time. Um, oh gosh, my man Lane, uh, who was music director at that time. Um, and it was, it was just a really fresh energy that, that her, her kind of era of WAG brought in. And, but she had that spirit to make people want to gravitate to her. And that's what made like her yoga and her profession now like so strong and huge um, because she made you want to listen to her. And she had, she had a midnight show um, and she would play like 
all this like smooth R&B. And, and I was like, yo, she's, she's dope. Like, just, just come on and just say what up. And uh, on, on my show, just so we can get some extra likes. Uh, but yeah, she, she's just got it. Man. She, she's got that it factor too. And a lot of people uh, that came through WAG, they, they had it. And I don't think we at WAG knew at that time, um, you know, yeah, we were fortunate um, for, for things that happened um, in that, those golden eras. Um, but some people that we had, man, so much talent, um, so much energy, so much of this larger than life persona than just a college radio show. Um, and so I, I almost want to slap people in the face that say, oh, college radio. I'm like, no, it's, it's just radio. And, and it's just, it's radio in its purest form. Right, before um, all the commercial and all the politics get into it. Because if you look at it with all of us, we weren't really in competition with each other. We supported each other. We would shout out everybody's shows on each other's shows and pop up and hang. And it was all love. Always, always. And, and I, would, I would throw end of the year parties and I would invite everybody. You know, if you were doing a show and, and you were, and I loved your show and I respected your show, come through. If you were in music, come through. If you were a DJ, come through. And it was, let's, let's get to that place of community. Um, and, and it was dope, man. It was, it was, it, it, it felt bigger than it was. And, and even today, like looking back, you, memories pop up on Facebook from like eight, nine years ago when WAG was probably at its height um, of all the things that were happening and all the people that were just running through that station and, and nobody knew, nobody knew right. that that was gonna be like a peak for a lot of people's careers um, or a stepping stone for a lot of people's careers mine included um you know we were just kind of along for the ride and and the people that you met from it was 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 amazing um, right. I, I can never i can never take for granted those early days and then those those middle times when things were amazing and um it was festival season and and covering all these shows and festivals and meeting all these people that became like your idols became your friends or contacts in your phone and all because of a college radio station <laughs> that doesn't really connect. Like something else had to have gone on for all these things to transpire. Right. Uh, and so you knew it was bigger than just 18 Watts in Greensboro, North Carolina. Like you just knew. So mm -hmm. yeah. it, it was wild. Yeah, it was a wild time, a special time. And I was curious to know, what was your thoughts when you first heard the time machine? Because I went in saying like, man, I just wanted to play my own personal collection. And little did I know that I didn't think I was going to land some of those interviews that I was able to do. And without a lot of resume and credits to my name at the time. I, I will say I, I was impressed um, because you essentially pushed me to dig deeper and, and get more connected uh, with, with people in the industry because I'm listening and I'm like, oh crap, this is good. 
and like these he's got like r&b legends he's got like he he was digging deep like with pop legends and i'm like yo this is not what i would have thought to to try but you you had the gall to do it and and it, it just pushed the sound of the station it pushed interviews and professional interviews um to another level it wasn't just oh this dude who's in college doing interviews with famous musicians this is oh this is jay mace and he's doing interviews with his list of people because they respect him they respect his show i respect him and i respect his show so i gotta listen so that that's what when i first heard the time machine i was like yo this is special Right. And I can remember doing my last show, man. I remember playing. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday with Boston, man. You were at the studio because uh, various other people were coming through the studio to salute and everything. Yeah. And I remember just breaking down in your arms crying because, man, yeah. five years, blood, sweating, tears. You know, man, it was it was the end of an era for me. Yo, I'm not going to lie. I got chills just thinking about that. Like it was I was I had never been so proud to know a contemporary who dedicated his life on that level of, of what we all did. Like we were all, we're DJs, we're, we're all in radio. Like we, we created something that nobody else can ever take away um, because these shows meant something to people and they mean something still to people. Um, and I found that out even more like during like the 2020, we're not even talk about COVID, but radio and shows like yours were necessary for people to just get through tough times. And, and you took us back with the time machine to like moments that you're like, oh crap, I'm listening to 80s music in the 2000s and I like it. I'm okay with this, this is good. And and I, I was I was proud. Uh, I still to this day, I will always say salute and thank you, um, just for that opportunity to listen to some of the things that you were accomplishing. So. Yeah, man, because it's crazy. Because I I told this story in a previous interview how when I interviewed Donnie Simpson, I actually ended up skipping one of my classes to interview him because he was just coming off his former radio show at the time. And I was like, I'm not going to miss this interview for the world. And then when I interviewed Danny Wood from New Kids, it was a full year before they decided to get back together. And I called some of the stuff on there saying, y'all going to sell out, y'all going to have cruises. And to think they got back together a year later, I'm like, holy, you know what? Yeah, and that joint happened. And like, <laughs> I was like, what? How does that, yo. But that's that's what happens. Like radio shows break stories and they formulate them into fruition, so. Mm -hmm. So how do you think radio can stay relevant in the current digital age with podcasting and streaming and be able to find its way in a landscape where I don't have to wait to hear my favorite song or to hear someone so come on and introduce, how can radio manage to stay relevant? Uh, and I, and I, I like how you unintentionally segued to like the last heavy topic. Uh, so thank you, that, that one's gonna make me think. Um, it is, radio will never die per se. 
Um, the formats are changing. Um, podcasts. Uh, people think in the beat of the night now is a podcast just because we record it and we upload it to a podcast server. Um, but it's still a radio show. It still exists on air initially, and then it gets recorded and um, then we tr transmit it. But radio will never really die. Just the form will change. Um, it's kind of like listening to hip hop. Um, hip hop never really dies. It just changes form, uh, how you get it, how you access it. Uh, the DJs that you're listening to, the the style, the components are always the same, the content, the music, uh, the information. And that's it, that's radio. Um, if you have a story to tell, if you have uh, some great interviews, if you have a dope music, playlists, soundtrack, radio will never stop. Um, it will just be different. Right. I think that's that's as as honest as I can be. Right. And those WAG days, best time of my life, and have you to thank for it. And uh, any shout outs you want to give before we wrap, and also plug social media. Yo, um, social media. Check in the beat of the night um, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, just follow in the beat of the night, or beat of the night. I think it is on on Instagram. Uh, Prez. Uh, probably the easiest name to remember. Uh, follow me on everything, Presidencio on Instagram, uh, Prez on Facebook. Uh, shout outs to the to the crew, Kilmatic, uh, DJ J Lone. Um, shout outs to Stone's Throws. Shout outs to Def Jam. Shout outs to uh, the Dap uh, Tones Records. Um, all the record labels that ever helped me and I helped them uh, shout out and salute um, to DJs who just keep playing good soul music. Um, big shouts to this new record. It's a must have from Daptone, actually from Coal Mine. Um, my homie, Aaron Frazier, uh, drummer from Duran Jones and the Indications, um, some amazing, soulful music out of Ohio. Um, yeah, anybody who's pushing the, the soul music, hip hop music, that's what it's about right now. Um, and mom, I love you. Uh, yes, most likely you'll see this at some point. Um, yeah, I think All that's right. about it. Shout All out right. to you, sir. Yeah, man, shouts to everybody that was affiliated with us at WAG, F, Section 8, A-Town, Show Smooth, Cat, Jack, Eric, Travis, Chris, Kyle, Jessam, anybody that was down at WAG from 04 to 09 and further back, thank you guys. You, you guys helped with what is now beyond the album cover. And of course, it all started with the time machine. So everybody at WAG, you guys have been very instrumental with everything. There will be no me without y'all. I wholeheartedly thank you all. And you can catch this interview along with past interviews on wherever you stream your podcast, Anchor, 
Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, my good friend, brother from another mother, DJ Prez from WAG in the beat of the night. Prez, thank you for coming on and doing this interview. Salute, man. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir.